0: Great, great video. I, I love that idea of together um, you know together we are strong. and I think today's passage speaks to the fact that we're not just strong um, when we're together, but we are serving an amazingly powerful gospel, um, and it's that gospel which gives us amazing strength and it draws together people no matter what um, your physical circumstances might be. And you can see the unity in those guys when they had a common purpose. And what we see in today's passage as well, as we picked up in the animation, is the unity that different nations and different groups of people found when they had that common purpose around the gospel. Um, I love coming to your church because you know, I speak at a few different churches. But it's the only place where I get an animation about my talk beforehand. (laughs) It's happened a couple of times, and it's fantastic. Because you sort of go, oh, well, I can cut out half of that. That's already been done in in graphic form that I would never be able to do justice. So I appreciate that. But it sets the tone. You know, one thing I love about Acts chapter 10, and it's a passage that's close to my heart, it's probably one of my favourite chapters in Acts, uh, is because it reminds us that sometimes we just need to have our eyes open a little bit. I'll give you a bit of a story that illustrates the point. Um, got a family, two little kids. We often order pizza because you have to survive sometimes and, and pizza is a way of achieving that. Um, and so we would, we would order Hawaiian a lot of the time. Um, Hawaiian only has two ingredients but um, one of my kids tends to pick off one of those ingredients being pineapple. There's only ham and pineapple so half of those have to go before it can be consumed. And some people would get frustrated by that. I have this inner smile that happens every time it happens because I reflect back to my own childhood. And I remember that I too was one of those kids that picked off pineapple off your ham pineapple pizza. And to the disdain of my family, every time we would get it, I would dissect it until all that was left was this piece of um, dough with ham and I'd consume that thinking it was the best thing it ever tasted. But there was one day where the time came. Must have been extra hungry and I took that extra bite that contained some pineapple. You look right to the left to make sure no one's looking at the time that you did it and you realise that... Actually, it just wasn't that bad after all. <laughs> and I think ever, ever since then, I've been converted to pineapple. I've just had to you know, try and hold back the constant ridicule from my family about my years of selectivity around the way I would eat these pizzas. Because sometimes I think we need to broaden our horizons a bit and we need to have our eyes opened. And often that requires a bit of a step of faith at some point. And that's what we see in a different way in Acts chapter 10. We see people's eyes being opened to the true extent of the gospel, to to the true understanding of how the gospel is really meant to be experienced. And that opening of their eyes requires a bit of a step of faith. See, in Acts chapter 10, God uses a Roman called Cornelius. He brings in a very famous Jew in Peter. Um, Peter comes back to Cornelius' household. He shares the gospel with them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And because of that, this passage is often referred to as the conversion of Cornelius. A lot of you have probably referred to Acts chapter 10 as the conversion of Cornelius. And as I was reading around this passage, it was interesting because there was a quote from a pretty well respected author that a number of you are probably be familiar with, John Stott. And he said, in his mind, Acts chapter 10 was less about the conversion of Cornelius as it was about the conversion of Peter. And I thought, that's an interesting comment because, well, what does he mean by that? Well, he can't be talking in terms of salvation by making that comment. We're not talking, this is the point in time where. Cornel, uh, where Peter was saved I mean he met Jesus he was a disciple of Jesus he received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost he was a foundational apostle but I think what John Stott is referring to is that this is the moment in Peter's life where his understanding of God and and particularly the Levitical laws and what was clean and unclean was completely flipped around His whole understanding of God in some respects was completely turned on its head so that he had to understand and believe in and experience really an entirely different God from the one he'd been grown up and trained and educated in. His eyes were open for the first time and his understanding of the Gospel and his understanding of God was completely reshaped. And so today I want to reflect on that as we go through Acts chapter 10 and think about what God was really trying to communicate to Peter about his understanding of the gospel and therefore of course what he's trying to communicate to us in our understanding of the gospel today so that by reflecting on how Peter's eyes are open we can perhaps start to see and, and, and live out the gospel the way God intended it to be seen and lived. So let's start, Acts chapter 10. I'll just read the first couple of verses to start with. It says, in fact why don't we pray before we get into it. I'll just pray quickly and then we'll, we'll get into Acts chapter 10. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you that the gospel is powerful. We thank you that we have unity in the gospel and that we all strive around and can circle around that common purpose, Lord. And we thank you that that purpose is about seeing people's hearts and lives changed so that they can experience forgiveness and new life and eternal life that can only be found in you. Lord, we pray that you'll open up our eyes today as we look through your scriptures and what it has to say to us so that we can see and live the gospel the way you intended it to be seen and lived. Amen. Okay, first couple of verses. I'll read through the first few verses and it's a long narrative so bits of it I'll summarise for you but it's helpful I think if we just get the scene set from the start. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment or Italian cohort. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, "Cornelius." Now, before we keep going, I want to unpack a little bit about who Cornelius was, and we understand just from those verses that Cornelian Cornelius was a Roman centurion, a centurion in the Italian cohort now Apart from saying the obvious, he was a Roman. He was a non-Jew, he was a different nation to the Jews. Being a centurion, you were in high regard in the uh, Roman army, and you were a, you were a part um, or had a posting in the army that was effectively viewed as the most loyal to the emperor. And being loyal to the emperor, which was obviously the conquering nation for the Jews, there wasn't a lot of love lost generally between the centurions and the Jews. You can imagine from, from the Jewish perspective the centurions were effectively the emperor's representatives. Okay, So they were the representatives, they were the most loyal to the people who had conquered them as a nation. And from the, centurion, from the Roman's perspective they would look on the Jews as a traditionalist people who generally kept to themselves and were nowhere near the might of the Roman Empire. They were largely irrelevant. They'd been conquered, they were done. Now it's interesting though because what we see in... Um, What we see here, despite all this, Cornelius, even though he was a centurion, he's described as being a God-fearing man. He was respected amongst his community and he prayed earnestly to God. So what we see here is Cornelius is therefore, despite his position, he's part of a category of people you would probably describe as being sympathetic to the Jewish people and in particular, and more importantly, sympathetic to the Jewish God. And we see that because he's praying to God and he's praying to God at what is effectively 3 in the afternoon, which is a traditional Jewish time to pray to their God. And as he's praying to it he receives a vision and an angel appears before him and he calls him by name, says Cornelius. And the angel then goes on to say you need to go to a land called Joppa and you need to get a person called Peter and to bring him back because he's got a message for you. Now Cornelius' response to that is, well, he's terrified and you can imagine that. I mean immediately you can imagine the sorts of thoughts that would be going through Cornelius at this point. It's three in the afternoon, it's the middle of the day. I mean, is this serious vision or am I just tired and thinking of some strange things at the moment? Is this an angel? Is this a message from God that's calling me by name? And why would I go get a random Jew who would probably want nothing to do with me and ask him to come back to my house? You can imagine how the immediate reaction you would think about if that was you, would be to rationalise it out. To question it, to challenge it and think that couldn't seriously be God speaking to me right now. Because let's face it, that's the way we often respond, isn't it? When God speaks to our heart, we often can question it, think is that really God speaking to me right now? We can rationalise it and think no, that's just too crazy to have to do that right now. Or they wouldn't really be interested in the gospel. And we can start to uh, move it or relegate it to that point of our consciousness, if you like, which we class as not something I really need to deal with right now. Not that particularly important, not really from God. But it's interesting how Cornelius responds. Because there's actually no hesitation and there's no questioning, there's no rationalizing. In verse 7 and 8, it says, When the angel spoke to him, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants and in verse 8 it says he told them everything that had happened as bizarre and crazy as it must have sounded and he sent them off to Joppa. Now there's no hesitation there. There's no rationalising. He just listens to the message that God has given him and then he goes and does it. He sends a Roman cohort out to meet Peter. Now there's a couple of principles here I'd just like to reflect on from the outset because I think they set themes in place that flow right through Acts chapter 10 and indeed through the remainder of Acts really. And the first of those principles is, is that God is at work. God's clearly orchestrating all of these events, isn't he? He's the one who initiates contact with Cornelius. He's the one who sends him a vision. He's the one who then gives Cornelius the instruction to go to Joppa and at the same time, as we'll talk about in a minute, he's sending Peter a parallel vision to get him ready for receiving this Roman cohort. God is clearly the one who is completely in control of everything that is going on. He is initiating it, and He is the one who is at work. And in particular, you can see that God wants to make himself known to His people. See, this should remind us that the God that we live, that we live for, the God that we worship, is alive and active, isn't he? And he wants to make himself known. God is clearly the one who is in complete control, and this is ultimately reflected through Scripture. That in the beginning, God made man in His image. There was that closeness of relationship there, but then sin came into the world, and it was fractured. And ever since that time, God has been at work, and you can see the plan right from the Garden of Eden, where He said to Satan, "You know, I will crush. He will crush your head. Uh, he You will strike his heel, and he will crush your head." There was that plan that was in place to restore that relationship and ever since that time God has been at work orchestrating events towards the culmination of the crucifixion in Jesus Christ where that relationship could be restored as the once and for all sacrifice was given for our sin. And then he's continued to be at work about making the glory of that truth known and we see that in Acts chapter 10. He's the one who's stringing all of these things together Remember in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, the person who's about to be involved, he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overthrow it, overcome it. I will build it. Cornelius won't build it. Peter, you're not going to build it. I will build my church. I will bring about this work. I will see the spread of the gospel and I will see this work through to completion. You know, when we... When we see the spread of the gospel and someone's belief in Jesus Christ as resting on our own shoulders, I think we've missed the point. When we see people's understanding of the gospel as hinging on our own gifts and abilities, I think we we cannot quite appreciate what God is really trying to communicate and the fact that that work is his work and he is in control and he is sovereign over all those things. And God is the one who will see that work through to completion. But what he's looking for us is faithful servants. And you can see that in Cornelius, isn't it? He's a devout man and he hears the message of God and he doesn't question it, he doesn't rationalise it, he just gets involved and does it. He's completely obedient. And that's what God's looking for in us. God is at work but he is looking for faithful servants who step out in faith and get involved in whatever God is doing. May we as a church always be looking for how God might be working in our lives and the communities around us so that we can be the faithful servants who step out and are willing to get involved for our God is a living God and he wants to make himself and this incredible gift of salvation known. And you see that right from the outset in Acts chapter 10. But as it goes on then the scene kind of switches. So the Roman cohort has been sent out and as it's on its way, so to speak, then God decides to send um, a separate uh, but very different vision to Peter. And in Peter's vision you see that a sheet, a sheet is described as coming down from the heavens with different kinds of um, animals on it. And then a voice says to Peter, rise up, kill and eat. Now in and of itself that vision obviously doesn't sound particularly staggering I mean. Eating animals sounds a bit gory but it's effectively a job that we would all be involved in most days of the week unless um, you have particular passions um, to otherwise. But for culturally for Peter this was quite a confusing and confronting vision for him to have. See the, the, there were very particular food laws for the Jewish people and this was flagged in the video that we saw earlier today. And you can see these described in Leviticus 11 it goes down this list of all these different animals which were deemed to be unclean and deemed to be clean. In other words, those animals which you were um, deemed to be okay to eat and others which were not okay to eat. And in Leviticus 11, there's a very prescriptive list. There's certain animals that walk on the land you could, certain animals that walk on the land you couldn't, certain birds that you could, certain birds that you couldn't certain fish and and, and animals that swim in the sea that you could and other categories that you couldn't for various reasons. And it's very particular as you go down the list, there was either yes or no. You can do certain things but you can't do certain things. And it said, don't eat the unclean things therefore, but you can eat the clean things. And you see the overarching principle then come through in Leviticus 20.25 when it says this, You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean and you shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything which crawls on the ground which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. In other words, by eating unclean foods, the Jewish people were deemed to make themselves detestable before God. And they would have to go through this purification process over this period of time in order to make themselves clean again. And it's clear in Peter's response in verse 14, you can see that some of the, at least some of the animals that he's being asked to eat are unclean animals. They're on the unclean list if you looked at their traditional laws. Because he says, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. By no, I can't do it. Your laws tell me not to eat these animals and I've never engaged in that. Why should I start now? And Peter receives a response from God that I think is where it completely reshapes his understanding of this area. And it's not just about food, it's about everything that is unclean or clean in God's eyes. All of the traditional laws around this concept. Because God responded to Peter in verse 15 and he says, what God has made clean do not call common. In other words, God says, no matter what these Levitical laws might say, if I'm telling you something is clean, don't you dare call it unclean. It's that strong kind of language for Peter. Don't, you even, don't even comprehend that these things are unclean. If I'm standing here and telling you to eat them, therefore they are clean. I don't care what the Levitical laws might say. I have made them clean. Now this was a huge message for Peter the process at this point in his life and this point in his ministry because you've got to think about it. You've got to put yourself in his, in his position. His whole life he had been trained in what was clean and unclean and to stay away from the unclean things. And you can see this in his response. I've never eaten anything unclean because from birth it was drilled into him. Do not eat unclean foods. And that included the time he served with Jesus himself as a disciple and now all of a sudden while he was praying, he gets a message from God that says, if I'm telling you something's clean, don't you dare call it unclean. Forget however many years you've been trained. Otherwise, this is what I'm telling you here and now. Now that, that was a big message for Peter to get his head around. And, in case, now, and it might not seem like so big a deal in 2016, but culturally at the time this is massive. And you can see it's massive Because God had to give Peter this vision three times. There's not many other visions in scripture which are given three times to someone. Cornelius didn't get his vision three times and it was also from left field, that vision. But he gets his not once, not twice, three times and even after the third time it says that Peter was inwardly perplexed, totally confused, cannot get his head around it. Because why would God now be telling him something was clean when it was actually meant to be unclean? And just at this point in time when Peter's wrestling with this whole area, this whole area of theology, this whole definitions of what is clean and unclean, who should be knocking at his gate but a Roman cohort? And in terms of people, if there was any group of people which epitomised the unclean, it was the Gentiles. A pagan nation who typically had no respect for the Jewish God, who had no respect for their authority, who had conquered them as a nation. They were the unclean, they were the enemies and they had strict Jewish laws. Do not associate with these people. But just as Peter's being challenged about this whole definition about what is clean and unclean, God sends Gentiles to knock at his door. And he goes down and in verse 23 he takes a very significant step because it says that he invites them in as his guests. That is the first step which Peter takes to kind of separate him from the traditional laws because the traditional laws would say do not associate with these people, let alone invite them into your own household and contaminate your entire household but he invites these people in as his guests. And then he goes a step further because he returns to Caesarea with them And he goes to Cornelius and his family and he shares a meal with them. And you can tell that this is really crossing boundaries when you skip down to verse 28 because Peter then says to the Gentiles, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. In other words, you yourselves know I shouldn't be here. I'm breaking my own laws by being here right now. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, the message God's opening Peter's eyes to is that there are no exclusions from the Gospel of Jesus Christ. No one no matter what tribe or tongue, no matter what age or gender, no matter what uh, language or education, no matter what background or past history, no matter what religion or profession, no one should be excluded from the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what Peter had to open his eyes to because everything that he had been trained was that the message of Jesus Christ was for the Jewish nation, was for God's, for God's people. It wasn't for anyone else. But God's opening his eyes saying, if I'm telling you to speak to these people, if I'm telling you they're clean, don't you dare treat them as unclean. For there was to be no exclusions from the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. For God's salvation is for everyone. You remember the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 22? He said to Abraham as a covenant through your seed all nations will be blessed. In other words, through your line of descendants, someone would come which would act as a blessing to all nations. And we can see that being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, can't we? That he came through the line of Abraham, that he allowed himself to be killed on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that through that sacrifice all nations could be blessed through faith in him when they, as they receive forgiveness, and eternal life through your seed all nations will be blessed not just one and then this is picked up in john the baptist in john chapter 1 verse 29 where jesus presents himself to john the baptist and and, and asks john the baptist to baptize him and and john says to him in response behold the lamb of god He's the Lamb of God because he was the one who would be slain for our sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice for all eternity for the things that we've done wrong. The the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not one single nation, not one single people group, not one geographic community takes away the sins of the world. All people for there were to be no exclusions from the gospel. Because Jesus Christ was the ultimate act of cleansing, wasn't he? Whereby all who in their hearts were unclean because of their sin could be made clean through their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he did on the cross, didn't he? He was the ultimate cleansing act. And so you can see God speaking into Peter saying, what I have therefore made clean, don't you dare call unclean. And don't you dare exclude them from the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I think we can we can be so quick to draw lines of division. Sometimes we can be so quick to make judgment calls about who is in and who is out of the kingdom of God, who who might be open to God and who might not, who might be willing to listen to, uh, to and, and believe in Jesus Christ, and and who we think, oh look, they just their hearts too hardened. You know, I know at work I make these assumptions all the time. I work in the professional services, and and you're around a lot of wealthy and successful, comfortable people in their lifestyle. And I'm very quick to write them off and say, "Look, they're not going to have any interest in Jesus Christ." But in the time that I've been there, I've discovered that up the corridor is a pastor's wife, around the corridor, uh, around the corner is a Jehovah's Witness, and one of my best mates continues to journey along in his understanding of God. You know, you can guarantee that wherever you are, whatever your communities might be, whatever your church community might be, whatever the area around you, where you live, your neighbours might be, whatever your workplace might be, you can guarantee somewhere in amongst there, there are willing listeners for the Gospel. But how often do we draw these artificial lines of distinction about who might be in, who might be out, who might listen and who might not? when it's not our place to make that judgment and God saying, what I've made clean, don't you dare call common or unclean. Because for Peter, the Gentiles would have been the last people on earth who would have had any interest in the Gospel. The last ones. But God was at work He was revealing to Peter that there was no basis for excluding anyone from the Gospel. He was revealing to Peter that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for all nations so that all who come to believe in him could be blessed. And God's grace, therefore, is for all who listen. But do we believe that truth? If so, will we be the faithful servants who allow it to start shaping the way we live? As we take the gospel to all who listen. See, at this point, Peter finds himself with this captive audience. He's in Cornelius' household, and they've said, We've brought you here because God said that you want to say something to us. And so Peter's looking at this group of Gentiles who were just waiting for him to tell them about Jesus. And it's interesting because you can see how far Peter has come in verse 34 because he starts his talk then by saying, I've learned that God shows no partiality. I used to think the gospel was for a single nation but I now realise that in God's economy there is no favouritism. There are no lines of distinction. For in every nation, he says, those who fear him and do what is right is acceptable to him. In every nation. You can see how far his understanding has come and how much his eyes have been opened to the true reach of the Gospel. And he goes on then to share with them about Jesus, the fact that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, the fact, that, um, the fact that he then did amazing things and demonstrated his power over Satan, the fact that he was then importantly crucified on the cross and rose again three days later. And then he wraps everything up in verse 43 when he says, To him, being Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen? Everyone who believes. The, clean, the unclean are made clean through faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. That's it. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. And what we see in verse 44 to 48 is this public demonstration of the truth of that. Because the Gentiles then hear this Gospel and they believe it and they accept it and it says, and the Holy Spirit comes down on them and they start speaking in tongues. Now a lot can be made of those verses and a lot has been made of those verses but when you read them in the context of chapter 10 you can see the fundamental thing is God is showing the Jewish people again and again and again how true it is that the Gentiles could receive the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when they receive the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in tongues. It's like a public demonstration of Peter and his Jewish colleagues that this is really happening. This is true. These people can believe in Jesus Christ. The Gospel is for them as well. They're receiving the Holy Spirit just like you did at the day of Pentecost. How can you therefore deny that the Gospel is for everyone? That's the whole point of these verses. And as I reflect on Acts chapter 10 and particularly these verses 44 to 48, the thing that strikes me is how simple, the simplicity with which the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Because there, no, uh, there was no extensive purification process because that was done on the cross. There was no complicated works regime to get them worthy enough to receive the Holy Spirit because the only work that was required was completed on the cross. There was no education and training of these Gentiles in order to bring them up to speed with their understanding of God and their awareness of this new um, gospel which has being shared with them because the only thing they needed to know was Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. That was it. All they needed was faith and they believed and they received. All God required was Faith. That Jesus was the Son of God, that He died on the cross for the unclean so that they could be made clean for now and for all eternity. That's it. You know, sometimes we can overcomplicate the gospel, can't we? Sometimes we can make it so much harder than it really needs to be. It's hard to live. But we need to boil down to it that all God really requires of me, all he requires of my neighbour, all he requires of the people around me is faith in Jesus Christ and that's not beyond the reach of anyone. No matter how hardened their heart might seem to be. It's not beyond the reach of anyone. The incredible truth that we see lived out in Acts chapter 10 is that the unclean are made clean through faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. You know, it doesn't matter how unclean your heart might be. It doesn't matter how unworthy I might feel before God. It doesn't matter how unclean the people around us might seem or how hard they might be to God. The only thing they need is faith. All that we need is Jesus because the work was completed on the cross. You know, Peter and the widest Jewish community then were obviously struck and impacted by what happened in Acts chapter 10. And you can see that because they they basically haul Peter before a council in chapter 11 of Jewish leaders and they say, what were you doing associating with the Gentiles? What did you go to their house for? You shared a meal with them. That's clearly against our laws. And so Peter then recounts to them everything that that happened. And you get this great summary in verse 18 of chapter 11 where it says, When this Jewish council, its council of leaders, when they heard these things, it says they fell silent. You get that sense of the weightiness of what had just happened had just dawned on them. They fell silent. But then they turned that silence into glory. It says they fell silent and they glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen to that? That's the reason we're all here, isn't it? I think we're probably all Gentiles. Most of us will be. We're Gentiles. But to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life because God's plan of salvation was never a plan for a single nation. It was a plan for all nations everywhere that if they just believe in Jesus Christ, they could know an eternal cleansing of their heart for which they would never be the same. That will be changed for now and for all eternity so that all who have faith in Jesus Christ might experience the repentance that leads to life. Sinners declared righteous, the unclean made clean. It's the amazing truth of the Gospel and no one is to be excluded from the opportunity to hear that incredible truth. And none of us are beyond the reach of that incredible truth. God is at work. He is building his church. He wants to make himself known to his people. But he's looking for faithful servants who will get involved in what he is doing and his work in making himself known. And God's only requirement is faith. In Acts chapter 10, Peter opens, uh, God opens Peter's eyes to the true reach of the Gospel. My, my prayer is that he'll open our eyes to it too so that we can see and live the gospel the way God intends it to be seen and lived. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the um, incredible visions that you gave, Cornelius and Peter and, and, and the way you orchestrated those events to demonstrate the clear truth that your gospel is for all people. Lord, it's for all of us, no matter what background or no matter what we may have done, no matter how unclean we may have felt. Lord, we know that we have faith and forgiveness through Jesus. And Lord, no matter who we engage with and who might be in the communities around us, Lord, we know that they too aren't reached, no matter, they aren't beyond reach through your grace. And Lord, through your grace, Lord, all people can come to you Lord, we pray that we won't exclude anyone for the opportunity to hear the good news, Lord, but we would be faithful servants who are willing to share it with all who would listen so that you can transform people's hearts, so that you can make the unclean clean, so that you can build your church for your glory for all eternity. Lord, may this church be a church of faithful servants who look to get involved in the way you are making yourself known in Monty, in our workplaces and wherever you might have us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.